Content on this production is for entertainment and informational purposes only. It is not medical advice, nor is it intended to substitute medical treatment or diagnosis. Seek medical help if you believe that you are suffering from a mental illness or are a threat to yourself or others. By using any or all of the information provided, you do so at your own risk. Any application of the material is at the listener's discretion and is his or her sole responsibility. Hey everybody, Doc Brian here and welcome to Doc Talks, where we talk about our life, our troubles, our trials, our tribulations, but most of all our triumphs and the things that we have going on for us. Today, I have Casey Sarlang, Sar- Salango. Salango. Hmm. Uh, making sure you knew what it really was. <laughs> good or, trick. Good yeah. trick. Uh, thank you, Casey, for being here with us today. Uh, we're glad that, that you decided to join us. Yes, thanks for having me. I'm excited to see what's going to happen. All right. Well, well, let's do this. So uh, tell me a little bit about, about growing up as a child. Uh, I grew up, I was born in Vermont in 1986 to a single mother. My father was in prison, uh, so he got out when I was a little bit older. So we stayed in Vermont for a couple of years and then moved to upstate New York and with my aunt and my cousins. So that was fun. I had an older brother and sister, uh, pretty poor, moved around upstate New York a lot, usually due to non-payment of rent. So we had to move around to a bunch of different houses and uh, single mother, you know, the boyfriends in and out, but, you know, still had contact with my dad. I'd see him every two weeks and then, uh, you know, holidays, the month in the summer, stuff like that. Um, yeah. Okay. So if, if you don't mind, what was your father in prison for? He, well, he was bipolar. He was undiagnosed at the time. So uh, while my mother was pregnant, apparently he got a DUI, so he got locked up for the night. He, uh, when he got out, he asked where his car was. They said it was at the impound lot. So he uh, pulled a guy out of his car to take that car so he could go get his car from the impound lot. Went back to the house. Uh, it was clearly displaying a lot of manic traits. Uh, apparently he was just making a big stew with all the ingredients in the house. My mom noticed that something was amiss, so she called his sister, my Aunt Seal, and uh, she came over to pick him up. By the time she got there, the cops were there. He was uh, was standing shirtless in a bay window with two big butcher knives, uh, And but luckily they didn't shoot him. They just took him in, so he went to jail for a little while. So was he able to get access to mental health care Yes, after, at that point? After that, he started taking medicine, and uh, I think he had, he displayed had several manic episodes when he was growing up, but I feel like his parents died when they were all pretty young. He was, they had five brothers and sisters, um, and I think they didn't really want to acknowledge that he had these mental health issues, so he didn't really get any help, and then... Uh, my mom started noticing thing, bringing it up to the family. They kind of denied it. And then it was at this point that he started, uh, taking medicine and getting treated for it. Right. It's, it's only really been the last five, 10 years that the stigma of mental health has started to, uh, decline here in the States. Yeah. Uh, 
where people would admit that, yeah, something's not right. And yes, we do need to kind of look into getting some kind of treatment. Yeah. So growing up as a child, what what kind of uh, things do you recall specifically good times, bad times, uh, talking about, you know, elementary school to middle school age? Let's see. Good times. Um, I enjoyed school. I didn't. I didn't like school. I wasn't a very. I was a good student when I was younger. I was uh, in a lot of advanced classes. Um, I don't know what happened. At some point, I either lost interest or I had a couple of concussions. I fell off a little wooden bridge onto my head one time, and then my grades immediately started to decline, and I just kind of. Didn't care about school anymore, but I enjoyed, what I did enjoy about school was uh, the social aspect. I, you know, learned I can make people laugh. I was pretty obnoxious at times, I believe, but that's when I first discovered uh, that was a real pleasure of mine is, you know, making people laugh and I'd do little shows at school and sometimes the teachers would just let me uh, perform little things so that, you know, that those aspects I enjoyed, uh, grew up around nature, so, you know, I liked playing outside, doing things like that. I really loved, television was a big escape for me, I enjoyed that. That was a big thing about visiting my dad, I liked is that he had cable, so I could watch whatever I wanted. We didn't get cable in my house until, I believe it was like third grade, so that was a big game changer for me, so uh, I became pretty obsessed with TV. Uh, so those are some good, bad times. Uh, just a lot of just unsure, various periods of, you know, not really having any money at all. Um, different boyfriends who were kind of bad influences. My mom. We'll be clear that was your mom's boyfriend. My mom's boyfriend, okay. yes. Uh, so she definitely displayed, you know, signs of alcoholism from even in a young age, but then. I feel like when my uncle died when I was, I would say, I want to say either third or fifth grade. And that's when I think it took it. That really hit her hard. So there's kind of a sharp decline. Uh, Some of her boyfriends became a lot worse. There's this one guy, Ace, who's a bit of a problem. You can probably even tell by his name. It's not really... Yeah, the tone there changes a little bit. The name Ace doesn't really uh, have a lot of good implications usually. Uh, Started getting into drug use a little bit, I believe. They were smoking crack a little little while there. Uh, But I think once he left, he left. uh, The last time I saw him was Thanksgiving. We were going to my aunt's house, and uh, we were already running late, and we are in the car, and all of a sudden he started demanding that he get dropped off at his mother's house, and my mom was driving. She's like, no, we're already late. I can't bring him to mother's house. And then he's just like, bring him to mother's house. And she's like, no, Ace, we're already late. So he uh, jumped out of the moving car and ran to the woods. So that's the last time I saw Ace. Uh, so that was it for Ace. And then she got some more steady boyfriends after that. But that old period was that we were living in a trailer park. I remember coming home from my dad's at one point. There's several, always weird stuff. I'd go visit him for a month. One time, I, we, my brother and I came home, and the house was completely empty. There was no one there, and uh, we didn't really know what to do. We walked to a gas station about a mile away, 
And luckily, her boyfriend at the time, Haggy, and again, another <laughs> great name, uh, he just happened to show up, and he's like, what are you guys doing here? And we're like, I don't know. We came home, and they guess they didn't realize that we were coming home. They were camping with friends in the woods, so they picked us up. Um, another time we came home, it was my birthday, and all the they were there, but a lot of the belongings were gone. And I tried to piece together what happened here. Because my mother was saying that somebody was bringing the stuff back, and she seemed very perturbed. Uh, I don't know if something happened with Ace, got into some kind of bad drug deal or something. Somebody took the belongings. Uh, eventually it was returned. But, yeah, there's always a, a real period of conflict coming back from my father's house. Because uh, my dad's house is a little more stable. He had a girlfriend that he had since I was four years old. She just passed away this past year. So she was in my life through that whole period. And their house was a, a little more stable, even though my dad was a still a criminal. He was a uh, weed dealer my whole life. Uh, you know, in, in trouble here and there, but stayed out of prison mostly because my stepmom uh, kept him on the straight and narrow a little more and was a little bit smarter than him. Um, so, but their house was the more stable one. So, uh, yeah. So I, th I think it would be fair to say that there was not a lot of stability. Yes, that's it. Uh, growing up and, and seemingly a bit of dysfunction. Yes. yes as yes. well. Mm -hmm. So now moving into high school area, what, what was life? Did it pretty much stay the same? through high school or or did things kind of get some more normalcy? Things got a little chaotic in high school the year. So I stayed in the same school for the most part. We moved into my uncle's house when fourth grade. So that was a different school. And that was a rough time. My uncle was a severe alcoholic. So they would just be partying all night. And, uh, you know, that was, so that wasn't a great time. Then we moved back to the original school that I went to and were there until the summer before ninth grade, uh, they decided to move a town over. So I had to start off at a new school, uh, for ninth and 10th grade, which was very difficult. I, uh, I'm good at making friends once I'm comfortable, but it takes me a long time to kind of get there. So like once I started making a couple of friends, then things, so then when I finally started to feel comfortable at that school, I made a lot of friends. Uh, the summer after 10th grade, we moved to another town uh, where the rest of my family lived in uh, was Lake Luzerne. So that was a couple hours upstate from there. So then I just kind of had to restart that whole process again. Uh, and then by the end of high school, things were good. There's a lot of issues. I had medical issues. I have a pituitary gland problem. So I didn't go through puberty all through high school. So that was a little trouble, troubling. Uh, you know, all my friends were doing normal high school stuff and I was still kind of a child in many ways. And that was something I didn't really deal with till I was about 20 years old because I had a girlfriend who urged me to uh, get it checked out. I brought it up to my mom a couple times and she kind of blew it off until I finally I made her take me to the doctor when I was like 16. And he said it was definitely abnormal. What happened? Why we I got a physical at school and they noticed something seemed to be wrong. They thought I had an undescended testicle. 
Uh, so that's when we went to get treated. Uh, but when I wasn't understanding, they're just uh, small, very, very small testicles. Uh, because of whatever problem. And now you have just admitted on a, on yes, a potential I small, na- I, uh, national. Yeah. Maybe you use that in your comedy. Line, I talk maybe. about. I talk about yeah. my. Com- I talk about on my uh, podcast all the time. The good, the dead, and the ugly. You should listen. Which is also here on. It's Be here Frank on Network. the Be Frank Network. Yeah. So that's. So they took me to the doctor once. They said. You know, it's it was abnormal, but I was still, you know, 16 is still possibility of being a late bloomer. Uh, I was a little overweight, so they said that could affect the process. And then my mom just never took me back. And it was a very embarrassing thing to kind of have to bring up. So I didn't push it that much until I had a girlfriend when I was 17 and... Uh, you know, eventually the topic of having sex started coming up, but I was very, you know, I had a child-sized penis at the time that I was trying to hide, so I just kept pushing it off until finally I had to tell her, and, you know, we, you know, so that was fine, but she urged me to go to the doctor. So I was about 20, I went, and they still never really figured out exactly what my issue was, but... They got me taking testosterone that I still take to this day, so that uh, got me more normal. So did you feel demasculated that a girlfriend had to get you to seek help in that and that you had mentioned it to your mother before and it was just kind of blown off? I didn't feel emasculated by that. Uh, I was glad that somebody was, you know, kind of pushing me to, get help. I didn't even really know how to make doctor's appointments for myself. That wasn't really, we didn't really go to the doctor, anything like that very much growing up. So that I didn't even really know how to go about that until I finally, you know, learned how to get Medicaid. And, um, so, you know, the more emasculating part, I guess, was having to have sex with a, uh, <laughs> while having a child sized penis, which wasn't, wasn't great for anyone. wasn't a lot of fun. So that whole part was very emasculating for sure. So now moving into, did you go to college? Yes, yeah, I went to college. Um, I, I was very bad at school, as I said, so I almost, I barely graduated and just kind of took a year off doing nothing. At this point, we lived, I lived in pretty much a one-room schoolhouse, an old schoolhouse with my mom and her boyfriend, Brian, and uh, just really did nothing. My girlfriend was still, she was a year younger, so she was still in high school, so I'd kind of just wait for her to get out, and she would come pick me up, and we would hang out. Uh, and then the following year, I decided I wanted to, I went to a community college that was nearby because I didn't have good enough grades to get into a uh, a larger school. So I went there, I got great grades, I applied myself. And then I think was, I went there for a year and a half until I had the grades to apply to go to SUNY Oneonta, which is in Western New York. And, uh, yeah, so I went there. Right. What was your major? I majored in mass communication, uh, and, uh, with a minor in theater. And what, at the point of going into college, what was your end goal? I didn't really know. I knew I wanted to do something like in entertainment, in uh, writing something, you know, mass communication. The goal there was to learn about, you know, learning how to write stuff. I got into theater. I enjoyed acting a lot. Uh, Sorry. Um, 
And I was pretty good at it, but it wasn't like, it was, I was like, this isn't exactly what I'm looking for. And then I got the opportunity with my friend. There was like a dance show on campus. That was like, it was like the biggest show on campus. Everyone went, it was a big deal and they went needed hosts. So me and my friend like wrote out a comedy routine uh, and we got chosen and then we got the host. We got to perform in between and we kind of became more popular in the show itself and people really like enjoy this. We kind of became like, you know, minor campus celebrities. Uh, so once I did that, I was like, this is what I want to do, something to do with comedy performing like this. So, okay, so yeah. that was kind of your original segue into being a, a comedian and, yeah. and getting into the entertainment industry. Yes. So what do you today? You're married, mm -hmm. have a child? No, no child. You're just, so are you the good, the dad, or the ugly? I'm the, I'm the good. Okay. So there's good. no dad. It's a stupid name. We chose it. <laughs> we call it, I, when I started, I started calling myself daddy on stage as a joke. And then uh, my friend Will also started calling himself daddy. We So we just started calling each other dad. Mm -hmm. And that's just the thing we did. So... We just, that's, we just call because it, that's not awkward at all. It's not awkward at all. <laughs> it's just a funny thing. We call each other dad, and then uh, our friend Patrick is ugly. Not just <laughs> not just uh, on the surface, but kind of spiritually. And uh, so we knew that. So somebody just came up with the idea that's the good, the dad, and the ugly, and it's kind of a balance. A lot of the balance. So on our podcast, we have female comedians, and they, you know, kind of the conceit is they're teaching us you know, how to be better men, stuff about women. We talk about sex, relationships, but it's also about our friendship and kind of the battle. Like, Will is, like, a very pure, good person, uh, just very, sh you know, strong of heart and spirit. Patrick is kind of, uh, you know, soulless <laughs> and <laughs> evil, and I am kind of in between, so it's kind of a battle uh, for my soul and certain things, but also just we explore... You know, we kind of have a codependent friendship, and we kind of uh, explore the nature of that. Gotcha. Uh, of course, I did a podcast with Will Winter, yes. so uh, if if our listeners have not listened to that, I would encourage them to mm -hmm. to go and, and hear his story. Um, so today, um, life, how's, how's life? It's good. I mean, it's tough since comedy kind of shut down. I had... Success in comedy. I just realized three years ago yesterday, my I recorded a half hour special for Comedy Central and I had an album that I recorded with Comedy Central. So that came out three years ago yesterday. And then things didn't really skyrocket immediately from that as I expected. I was still kind of back to, you know, still working menial jobs and this and that but uh before the pandemic things started looking up again i got passed at the comedy cellar which is the best club in the country maybe the world i'd say so that was a big deal i was working there regularly actually getting paid starting to do a little bit of touring it's a little more difficult back in the day you get like a late night spot i was also on jimmy kimmel and uh this all kind of happened in a very short span back in the day you'd get one of those or like a half-hour comedy special, and you were kind of cemented. You would be able to tour and stuff like that. But the way it is now, there's so many different outlets, so many late-night spots, the half-hours. They used to air them constantly on Comedy Central. They'd 
I used to watch them all the time, all Friday night. It was just all comedy. Uh, now they've moved away. They've actually canceled any live stand-up comedy uh, on Comedy Central whatsoever recently. So the half hours air one time at midnight on a Saturday. Not many people see that. And their streaming service isn't very good. So it's kind of even difficult to even find. Even after doing that stuff, it's kind of, you can't really tour on that. You can't really get into the big clubs. You're not really selling a lot of tickets. So I'm still kind of doing DIY tours and, uh, you know, still not making money at comedy as I hoped. I had a manager and an agent and nothing really happened with that. I got little things here and there. Uh, went out for a lot of auditions, never got anything. I uh, did a lot of writing packets for to become a writer on a show, never got anything. Uh, I think they kind of started to become disillusioned with me. So my agent ended up dropping me. And then my manager, clearly, she got a lot of bigger clients at the time that she was giving a lot more attention to. And I was feeling pretty neglected. So I ended up firing her before that because I was about to get money for film. I was filming some things for Comedy Central. They had a show called This Week of the Cellar that I I got on and I was filming stuff for that. And I was like, she's not really doing any of the work to get this. So I'd rather not give her the money for doing nothing. And she just kind of feeling disrespected in general, not getting my emails answered, kind of, if I brought it up, I was kind of feeling I was disrespected in a way. So uh, I think it felt like a little bit of an abusive relationship. So I got out of that. So now in the pandemic, I, I didn't do anything for a while. I didn't get unemployment because I didn't think I I uh, could get it because a lot of my jobs were kind of under the table as a dog walker, stuff like that. Uh, I started working at a bar that my friend owns. And then the same week I got that job, I realized I was, I could have gotten unemployment, but then it was screwed over because I got the job. So I've been working there. I actually... Just put it, I put in my two weeks notice, so uh, Saturday is my last day because I really just hated it. And uh, But luckily my wife has a very good job. She's also a great comedian, but she's got a, you know, a high-paying job. So if, you know, things go by the wayside, we've got her to take care of me. So we need to give a shout-out to your wife. Yes, here. Courtney McGinnis, Slango. She's a wonderful woman. She takes care of me, a fantastic comedian too. So God bless her. Because you'd be in trouble when she hears this podcast that she didn't get a plug. Well, I, she actually doesn't like me bringing up <laughs> her job. Uh, I was going around telling people, you know, I got a rich wife and all stuff. You know, it was funny. Uh, she didn't like that because one thing I think it made, she thought it made people take her less seriously as a comedian. Uh, there's also a stigma of having money doing comedy. There's kind of a... There's kind of... Because real comedians are broke. Yes, yes. You kind of get more respect if you're a broke comic who like came from... But she didn't come from a lot of money. She did all this herself and worked very hard. But uh, she doesn't like me bringing it up. So I might actually get in trouble for shouting that out. Well, that's okay because I... I told you to. You told me yeah. to, yeah. And yeah. I'm a doctor, so I can't you're do any wrong. You can do it, yeah. yeah. We yeah. also have made a... 
we made a uh, pact not to listen to each other's podcast because it uh, causes friction at times. I understand. Yeah. That, as long as it's mutually agreeable. There's, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. Yeah, we both agreed to that. So, so what would you say in your life has been the biggest struggle or difficulty that, that you have dealt with or are dealing with? Um, I would say I've had bouts of depression. I've had bouts. I think the... The puberty thing really fucked with me a lot more in many ways uh, that still kind of linger with me today. Like, things are normal. I have a, you know, slightly above average size penis, uh, but those things still kind of stick with you, like feeling like a child, not really feeling like a real man a lot of times. Uh, a lot of insecurities, a lot of... Uh, yeah, just a great deal of insecurities and like fear and depression. And how have those things carried over into your marriage? They've carried over a lot. I've had a lot of issues with jealousy that I've had I've struggled with. Before we got together, my wife was she was the opposite of me. She developed very early when she was like eleven. She developed like double D breasts. Uh so she became kind of hypersexualized by people and uh, so she kind of went the other route where she became, you know, in her 20s, she was very promiscuous and uh, got into like doing a lot of drugs and stuff like that. She's very comfortable with her sexuality. So where I was kind of the opposite, I was very uncomfortable. I was mostly in long-term relationships throughout my whole life because yeah, I enjoyed being single, but just like the act of, you know, trying to and going through with hooking up with strangers never usually very embarrassing and just like I didn't have a lot of confidence there so it kind of manifests in jealousy you know is struggling with knowing her sexual history and me grappling with you know kind of this internalized misogyny that I had about kind of female sexuality that uh, I didn't really realize I had and just like knowing people that she had been with, stuff like that. Uh, I guess there was a certain jealousy of her being so comfortable with her sexuality when it was something that I was so deeply uncomfortable with and uh, so insecurity with that. So was there any point that you kind of withdrew from any connection that you had with people where you would make plans and then just not follow through because... Yeah, yeah, I did that a lot. You mean like in a dating sense or just in any general In, in sense? general. Yeah, yeah. No, I've done that a lot. I made a lot of plans and then just didn't feel up to it when the time came. And uh, Or when the time came, you did something else. Yeah, yeah, I'd say and, I did that. And just kind of impulsively, just yeah. without playing, just yeah. go off and do something mm -hmm, else. Mm -hmm. Okay. As a comedian now struggling... I guess we could say that you're financially stable in a household. Mm -hmm. How have you felt through this pandemic of having to, you know, kind of put comedy to the side and work? We'll use the word a real job. Yeah. As, yeah. as, as that, that's not what I mean. No, in I a, get you. In Comedy's a grading way. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. How does that kind of affected you during this time? Well, it was difficult. There were ups and downs. Uh, when it first happened, I was pretty happy, actually, for the first month or two because I'd really kind of gotten burnt out on comedy. Uh, I was just kind of doing it every night, 
especially with the stress of just getting past the salary, which is like a big dream of mine. I didn't really think what happened for a few years. The struggle that goes through with that, because they'll do a thing where they'll book you a couple weeks, like five to 10 shows a week. You feel like you're on top of the world. You're getting paid. You're getting respected. And then you'll go like a month with them not booking you at all. And like you just start questioning yourself, wondering what you did wrong, why this is happening. Um, and then, so then every set you have there is, can become very stressful because it feels like life or death, you know, like make or break. And so the stress of that was wearing on me. Also having to do the same set there every night, that's not really what I enjoy about comedy. I like to kind of, you know, be more fun, freewheeling, like create special moments, like go off on tangents, you know. So, so it was more monotony and work yes. as opposed as it was entertainment. Absolutely. So that took a lot of the fun and out of it. Um, but by the end, I was starting to get more comfortable and being able to like kind of get more into my style and work that in with the bits I was doing and feel comfortable there. Because the crowds there are great. I've been doing comedy in Brooklyn, uh, in Manhattan for nine years where people just openly hate you <laughs> already <laughs> the moment you step on stage they like seem like they want you to fail so going to a place where people you know are expecting a good show and want to have a nice show and are like giving you the benefit of the doubt almost was a, a welcome change so i was really starting to enjoy that but you know as i said i was getting really burnt out and like tired so the taking the break from it was great because I really know I needed it, but I didn't really know how to go about it. And then after a while, uh, the kind of depression started setting in, not having that creative outlet, realizing how much of my self-worth and persona is wrapped up in comedy and uh, kind of realizing I need to create more of a life for myself outside of that just being who I am and... Uh, you know, exploring other aspects of, you know, what makes me a valuable person and, you know, why I'm worthwhile and it's not just stand-up comedy. All right. Well, uh, I think we've got enough information here. So right. uh, thank you for listening to Doc Talks today. I'm Doc Brian. As we go into the diagnosis part of this, you can find that episode on Patreon where we talk about the diagnosis that we actually think is going on here with our guest and discuss the potential treatment of how we would bring all of this together to help them cope with their mental health concerns. Um, Casey, I appreciate you being uh, with us today and telling this part of your story and your life. And and uh, there aren't very many men who would uh, reveal what you have, have revealed <laughs> to us today. Sure, sure. Uh, so we appreciate your candidness and, and willingness uh, to do that. And uh, of course, Casey will join us uh, on this second part of the podcast on Patreon. Uh, Patreon, excuse me, uh, with Doc Talks DX. Uh, Casey, tell us where we can find you. Uh, you can find me on all platforms at KCJ Salengo. That's S A L E N G O. You can listen to my podcast, The Good, The Dead, The Ugly. Um, I've got a merch store. For, it's all hailart.com. Uh, you can get there. You can listen to my album, Wild. 
Country Phoenix. That's available wherever albums are. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Sounds good. Of course, I'm Doc Brian. You can find me at thedocbrian.com. On TikTok, doc underscore Brian. On Instagram, thedocbrian. And there is a link at the bottom of my website, thedocbrian.com of all of our social media. Uh, feel free to follow me there, and we look to having you. Look forward to having you with us uh, next time. Uh, make sure to check out the second part of this episode on Doc Talks DX on Patreon, and Doc Talks is a part of Be Frank Network. Again, thank you for listening. Thank you, Casey, again for being with us here today, and uh, we look forward to uh, discussing a diagnosis here. I very much look forward to that. Thank All right. You. All right. Thank you. Uh, be kind to one another, and have a great day. <laughs>